In just 48 hours, TopTel can provide the world-class AI and tech experts you need to optimize your business and stay competitive in 2024 and beyond. To get started, visit TopTel.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Welcome to Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Delighted you're joining us. If you're not already a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week, Twitter, cryptocurrency, Facebook, and more. It's been a turbulent year for the tech sector. Stock prices of the Silicon Valley giants like Facebook parent Meta, along with Amazon and Google, are down by between a third and two-thirds this year. With business conditions deteriorating, they're making deep job cuts for the first time in their young history. And they continue to face questions about their outsized role in the modern American economy with demands from many sides for tougher regulation. Then there's cryptocurrency. The spectacular collapse of FTX, a major crypto trading platform last month, and the prosecution of its former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, on fraud charges have prompted concerns about the health and future of the whole business of digital currency. Is it all just a decentralized Ponzi scheme? Some think it is. Or is it actually a valid alternative to central bank-controlled money? And then, of course, there's Twitter. Acquired by Elon Musk in October, the company that's one of the most influential platforms in the world for the dissemination of news, information, and commentary, has been the focus of extraordinary attention ever since. Musk has been steadily releasing details of how the platform handled, censored, and sometimes outright blocked content and individuals before he acquired it. The Twitter files, as they're called, have revealed troubling details about the company's approach to so-called misinformation, which often in the past seems to encompass largely conservative views, and the latest revelations have shown a close relationship with government law enforcement. Meanwhile, Musk himself has sparked outrage among the major media by himself banning some users for what he calls violations. Well, with me to talk about all these developments is a very influential figure in the regulatory and legislative environment for the tech sector. He's Ro Kanna, Democratic member of Congress for the House District that includes much of Silicon Valley in California. Before entering Congress, he worked as an intellectual property lawyer and served in the Obama administration and as a visiting professor at Stanford. He's been an outspoken advocate for tougher regulation and smarter regulation, as he says, of the tech sector to better protect users' rights. And in those Twitter files, he recently appeared as something of a champion of free speech, emerging as the only Democrat who tried to stop Twitter from banning circulation of the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020. Congressman Rokana joins me now. Congressman, thanks very much for joining Free Expression. Thank you for having me. As I said in my introduction, you emerged as something of a champion of free speech when we started learning about the first batch of the Twitter files, where it uh, it emerged that you were one of the few people, actually certainly one of the only Democrats, to stand up and say that Twitter was not doing the right thing when it was blocking the Hunter Biden laptop story. And of course, you wrote an op-ed in the journal, and thank you very much for that, in the last week, making the same case for free speech, whether or not you agree with it. Let me just ask you, there are more and more of these files coming out, including some today. We are recording this, I should say, on Monday lunchtime. As you see this, the ones I particularly focused on in the last couple of days are these files that seem to reflect a significant degree of intervention by government officials, by law enforcement, and now by intelligence agencies. Lots of communication between them and Twitter officials in the run-up to the 2020 election about misinformation. A lot of people concerned about this, about the degree to which the government seems to have been trying to persuade Twitter and indeed successfully influence Twitter in making its content decisions. Have you seen anything in there that you regard as genuinely troubling? Well, I've seen enough that there needs to be more disclosure and questions asked. I mean, look, after 2016 in the election, there was efforts by 
law enforcement to make social media companies aware of uh, foreign interference and to flag that. And that seems to me uh, appropriate. But if it's gone beyond that, where uh, there's any evidence that uh, any government agencies are actually trying to influence the platforms and what uh, speech they should have, that's problematic. And, you know, I haven't reviewed the latest disclosures carefully enough to make a factual determination, other than to say that I have been open to the point that there needs to be full transparency on that. So we've had a chance to review. Again, more of these are coming out right now. But there were some very interesting ones released just over the last weekend where the Twitter officials themselves were responding to FBI officials who were checking in, as it were, and flagging content that the Twitter officials were saying, well, actually, you know, we're aware of the foreign intervention concern. We've been following that. We know that. We're looking out for accounts that might be Russian bots and all that kind of stuff. But this does seem to, as you sort of imply in your answer there, uh, many of this does seem to be going beyond that. And the Twitter officials themselves kind of expressed some puzzlement at some of the interventions that were coming from law enforcement. Do you think that it's actually, we are learning that maybe law enforcement actually quite did overreach and did try to take on a role in attempting to authorize content for Twitter? They certainly should not be doing anything beyond warning social media platforms about foreign intervention, terrorism. I mean, there are areas of appropriate cooperation between social media platforms and law enforcement in protecting our national security and protecting the integrity of our elections. But to the extent that there were incidences beyond that, I think those are open questions that need to be answered. And I would want in Congress to hear from the law enforcement agencies to understand what they were doing. Now, you know, obviously this was under the previous president, under the Trump administration. So it would be odd if people in his own executive branch were taking actions to undermine him. Not impossible. I don't want to indulge, you know, ideas about the deep state, but I think we did see throughout the Trump administration, Congressman, quite a lot of government positions inside the Trump administration doing a lot to undermine him, didn't we? Fair enough. Uh, that is fair enough and leaking things. So, you know, but, but my point is that those are very serious questions and charges. And I have a lot of respect, obviously, for our law enforcement agencies. I have a lot of respect for the work they do. If there are questions, I'd want them to come before Congress, answer them, and more importantly, have guidelines of what is appropriate and what is not. Where do we need them to be interfering so that uh, we are being protected from a national security perspective? You know, I would want law enforcement to be, for example, cooperating with social media platforms to make sure there's not infiltration from the China Communist Party or our data isn't being taken or infiltration from adversaries in Russia or Iran. But I wouldn't want them to be making recommendations about what types of speech should be on or, or not. And I think there has to be a clarity and a clear boundary to their role. So how do we do that? How do we achieve that transparency? Because it's striking, isn't it, that the only reason we're learning this now is because of the change of control at Twitter. Elon Musk acquired the company a couple of months ago. He was very critical of some of Twitter's practices. He very much argued in favor of, he said he was going to be a free speech platform. And, and in the process of, I suppose, attempting to demonstrate how badly off that course Twitter had got, he authorized the release of these Twitter files through various journalists who'd been reading them and then kind of reporting on them and offering sort of praises of them. But that's striking, isn't it? That's the only way you talk very rightly about the importance of transparency and about calling these companies, as you say, before Congress, and we're probably going to hear a lot about that. But it is striking, isn't it? This wasn't either discovered 
by investigation or by congressional oversight. It wasn't discovered because the company voluntarily gave it up. It was discovered because there was a change of ownership and the new ownership decided that what had gone on before was unacceptable. We need, don't we, to find a way of making sure that if something nefarious or improper was going on, we're not dependent on the whims of a new management to make sure the public finds out about it. I think that's fair enough. And I think we can certainly have laws to do that in restricting what law enforcement agencies uh, can be telling social media, making sure that the interaction is about protecting national security and not in any way in suppressing speech. What is harder is when you have these private platforms making decisions to censor speech, which may be legal, but which we don't think is good for a democracy. I mean, look, the Wall Street Journal could make a decision tomorrow that they never want to have a progressive Democrat on their programs or on their op-ed pages. And I couldn't say that's a violation of the First Amendment, but we all would think much less of the Wall Street Journal. The challenges of the Wall Street Journal did that immediately be transparent to most people in this country. And social media companies are able to do that without the same transparency. And so there has to be some regulatory framework that even if they're their private company, you have some explanation for how they're making some of these decisions about who to allow to speak, who not to speak, and why they're making that decision, because they're effectively the public square. So could that be achieved through some legislation, some regulation that would, as you say, that would simply require more disclosure of the the kind of decision-making process, you know, whether it's people or topics? What would be the right kind of regulatory approach to ensure that we were getting that kind of transparency? Well, I think one is just having some standards and someone you can appeal to. I mean, consider again the case of the Wall Street Journal. If my op-ed is never getting published, or someone, if Democrats thought their op-eds were never getting published, their perspective was never getting published, it's pretty clear who's on the masthead, what the decision-making criteria is, who to write to, who to complain to, what the the, uh, criteria is of what the Wall Street Journal publishes. There's an opaqueness in the social media. You don't even know whether it's an algorithm making the decision. You don't know who is responsible for making the decision. You don't know why they're making those decisions. So I would require, at the very least, a transparency. And then I would require some process of appeal, some independent entity separate from the ownership of that company that people can appeal to if they're being suspended or if they're not being able to have engagement. Would that be done by you know, an existing regulatory body, maybe the FCC, or would you favor the creation of a specific regulatory body to oversee these rules about transparency? Or is there some other way of doing it? I think the FCC or the FTC could enforce it. And I don't think you need the government to dictate exactly what these platforms are doing. But I think what the government can require is a transparency. So if a social media company wants to have uh, rules uh, that are defined uh, to be the conservative platform for speech or the liberal platform for speech, and they're making it very clear that that's what they are, that's fine. But there can't be this arbitrariness where they're projecting themselves as a forum for everyone, and especially if they have become a forum for everyone. 
like Twitter is, and then making arbitrary decisions. And I think laws around the line of transparency and having some independent people there to make some of the decisions is one approach to having a bipartisan solution to these issues. And again, this will be through legislation. Is there bipartisan support for, for something like what you're proposing? It's, it's hard, right? Because on the Republican side, the concern is people are being censored. On the Democratic side, often the concern is is there hate speech? Are people not being removed enough for anti-Semitism, for racism, for hate speech? And the balance is very difficult. But I think that the common ground can be transparency. The common ground can be that you don't want just executives or the owners of capital making the decision of who should be on the platform. I mean, in 2020, it was the Republicans concerned about what Twitter was doing. In 2024, it could be Democrats concerned if Musk is controlling all the decisions. And you don't want that to be ping-ponging back and forth. You want to have some sense that if there is a forum, maybe if it's over X amount of people that are participating on it, that certain rules kick in of transparency that err on the side of allowing, allowing speech. And I think a compromise like that could see some kind of regulation passing through Congress. What about this whole issue of misinformation or disinformation? I know they have different meanings. We don't need to get too much into detail about that. It seems to me that this is the term and the terminology under which obviously so much of this dispute now happens. There is tremendous pressure from law enforcement, from members of Congress, from members of the public, from regulators, on all kinds of people to try and expose and indeed to restrain the dissemination of so-called misinformation. That, after all, again, it was the flag of convenience under which everybody operated when they were trying to block the Hunter Biden story, because supposedly we had these intelligence officials coming out and saying, oh, this has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation, even though it didn't. And they all knew that. And it just seemed to me that was you know, particularly uh, outrageous. But then again, there is genuine misinformation. There are people who maybe are putting out information that is the, you know, the, the shouting fire in a theater kind of scenario that people who are putting out dangerously false information about public health or issues like that. Not, by the way, again, some of the debates we had over COVID, but you can see that somebody puts out a warning saying, you know, don't drink Coca-Cola because you're going to die of food poisoning. That is misinformation. Is there any role at all for government, for intervention, for regulation, or is this something that that, that content companies, media companies, technology companies just have to be wise about themselves and, again, be honest and transparent about how they're handling these claims of so-called misinformation? That's a very thoughtful question. I mean, at the first point, the government isn't the arbiter of truth. And I do believe, actually, in the John Stuart Mill idea of the marketplace of ideas and that the American people are thoughtful and smart and through conversation, the best ideas emerge. And so I am very reluctant to have the government suppressing speech that is critical of conventional wisdom or making value judgments on speech. But there are exceptions, and you pointed out one, which is public health. I mean, if there is a health crisis and the CDC or the FDA are concluding that people literally will die if there's information being put out there that is false, even if that is judged false as a consensus scientific opinion at that moment, then I think the government has a role to protect public health. And even our First Amendment jurisprudence recognizes that. But I would be limiting those things to cases of actual concern about public health, where there's an immediate impact 
or actual concern about violence, I would be very wary of the government censoring speech just because they think something is conspiratorial or propaganda. That's for the public to figure out. Got to take a break there. When we come back, we'll have more with Congressman Rokana on what's happening to the tech sector, what needs to be done that could improve it. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. NetSuite by Oracle brings accounting, finance, inventory, and HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce costs everywhere. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. So head to netsuite.com slash Wall Street right now. You're listening to Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest episode anytime on your smart speaker. Just say, play the Opinion Free Expression podcast. Now, back to Jerry Baker. Welcome back. I'm talking with Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna about the challenges and the opportunities facing the tech sector. Let's move on to some of the other, because so much to talk about in technology, and it's great to have an opportunity to talk to you about this. Just very briefly talk about this very, again, topical issue of TikTok which everybody knows is an enormously popular short video platform. Kids spend hours hours and hours a day viewing these videos and uploading videos and all this kind of stuff. We know, of course, it's run by a Chinese company. It's owned by a Chinese company. Chinese companies we know do not operate in the way that companies in the West do. We know the extent to which the uh, Communist Party of China exercises influence over them. There's now a big debate here about TikTok has become so big about what should be done about it and the risk that information, the Chinese have the ability to access user information, to access all kinds of intentionally critically important information that they could get through TikTok. The White House doesn't allow people to upload videos to TikTok from the White House. There's now a debate about whether Congress should do it. What's your overall view about TikTok, about the company, and about what we can do about a company that large and that influential with that close a tie to the Chinese Communist Party that could represent a threat? What's the right way to approach it? Well, it is a big concern. I actually thought President Trump's proposal to have it sold to an American company was one of the best solutions because there are a lot of people who are on it. People like the platform. And if we could have an American company own it, that would be ideal. If we're not able to facilitate that, then we need to be absolutely sure that none of the data is leaving American territory, that none of the data is being managed by Chinese communist officials, that the people who are running the app in the United States where Americans are on are responsible to American law on, on being fiduciaries of that data and that it's not leaking back to the Chinese Communist Party. Those safeguards aren't in place right now, which is why it's a concern. More generally on China, I mean, how much more do I mean, there's been a lot of measures taken in the, in the last few years to limit Chinese investment, to expose a lot of the Chinese activity in technology and 5G and information technology more generally. Are we doing enough right now? And what more could we do to ensure that Americans, not only personal data, but obviously critical national security data and other important data is not falling into the hands of foreign power? Well, one, we could pass some version of an Internet Bill of Rights where people have sovereignty over their own data so that the data isn't in the hands of large corporations, even if those large corporations aren't ultimately going to leak the information to China, just the more we can give individuals control over their data, the better. On China specifically, I think TikTok represents the biggest challenge we need to solve. But the broader issue, I think, with China, in my view, is we need to stay ahead of China when it comes to our production. We've lost way too much of our productive capacity to China massive trade deficits that need to be reversed. We need to stay ahead of China when it comes to critical technology, AI, uh, space, quantum computing. 
We took a step with that in the bipartisanship since Scientech, but we need to do way more. And I'm more concerned about making sure that America remains the manufacturing superpower, that America remains the technology superpower. That, to me, is our greatest vulnerability with China. Hey, Congressman, let's move on. I'd like to talk about cryptocurrency. We've seen this extraordinary collapse of FTX and the prosecution by the U.S. authorities of Sam Bankman-Fried, its former CEO. Is this an example of, if I may put it like this, the system working? That is, you know, it looks like a fraud allegedly was committed and that resulted, obviously, in financial, quick sort of financial collapse and then subsequently law enforcement action, as we're seeing. Or does this raise questions to you about the proper supervision, the proper operation of so many of these cryptocurrency platforms. After all, this was a company that was worth at one point more than $30 billion. It had billions of dollars in customers' accounts. Does this raise red flags for you about something that needs to change, or are you actually happy with the way that it's been dealt with? I do think we need more regulation on cryptocurrency. One, we need to make sure that stable coins are actually backed by the dollar. We need to make sure that both the SEC and the CFTC have regulatory oversight. In FTX's case, what surprises me is it seems that uh, just from the public reporting that Sam Bankman-Fried was using customer funds for something that was totally unauthorized. And I guess the question is, is there anything we could do to, to make sure that there were reporting requirements or disclosure requirements that could have set the alarm bells off earlier? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there are ways to strengthen the enforcement on that. But on crypto more broadly, I do think there is more regulation that can help protect consumers. One thing we know about Sam Bankman-Fried is that he was an extremely effective, <laughs> well, effective altruism, I think was the phrase that we used. And one of the ways in which he pursued his effective altruism was significant donations to political causes and political parties. We've seen a lot of Democratic money. There's claims that there was also uh, you know, some, some money going to Republicans, but we know he donated huge amounts to Democratic campaign committees. And of course, he does seem to have had a fairly warm relationship. We've all seen those pictures of him testifying before Congress in a rather friendly way with particularly leading Democratic members of Congress. Those campaign committees and others have said they will give back the money, that they will restore it in some way. Was that part of the reason he was able to pull off what some people have described as, well, what the government itself describes now as a kind of a Ponzi scheme, because he was enjoying this incredibly easy, warm relationship with so many powerful people in politics? The big issue is the role of big money in politics, which erodes public trust. In the case of Sam Bankman-Fried, I think the issue is that the regulatory agencies were not being influenced, as I can tell, by any of his political giving. And the type of fraud that he's accused of strikes me as garden variety fraud. You can't take customer money and use it for something else. So the question is, why was that missed? And are there ways that we can strengthen enforcement? On his contributions themselves, I think that, you know, I met him once. He contributed once to be 2900 not a significant amount, which I refunded 10 days later because he had contributed. And then this issue happened. So I never got significant money. But the time I met with him, I mean, he comes off as someone who really cared about the world. And I think he candidly charmed people in Washington on both sides. And I certainly didn't see that he was fraudulent. But the bigger issue is, why are we allowing people to be making contributions of millions of dollars? It must have benefits. They wouldn't do it. I mean, again, joking aside about effective altruism, individual companies wouldn't do this kind of large-scale donation if they didn't think they were getting something for their money, would they? No, I think he had a clear agenda. But I don't think his clear agenda was... Uh, to prevent Congress from scrutinizing his company. But maybe he was trying to get uh, certain members of Congress to intervene with the uh, regulators. And obviously, that would need to be 
looked at, if there were ever evidence of that, or maybe he was trying to get certain types of regulations passed. But I got to tell you, some of these folks, they also just have a sense of of narcissism. They want to have policy and shape the world. And it could have also been, been that. Regardless of what the motives, I agree with you that it's not a good look for the United States Congress to have someone like Sam Bankman-Fried pouring millions of dollars into committees on uh, the Democratic side and the Republican side. And it's not worth arguing whether it's 60%, 70% Democrat, 30% Republican. But the point is, it undermines people's faith in our governing institutions. Uh, and that's something that we need to fix. Finally, Congressman, it's been a tough year. You represent a congressional district in which a lot of Tech companies are based. It's been a tough year generally for the tech sector. Some of those stock prices are down hugely this year. Meta is facing a whole set of problems. We've talked about Twitter, which has obviously now been bought and gone private, but the other companies too facing different challenges. Over the last few years, the size of scale of these companies has been a source of enormous concern to people. People have called for regulation of them. They've called for more transparency. They've called for them to be broken up in some cases. And of course, the government is still looking at the power of these tech companies and what could be done about it. The last year, maybe, uh, you know, for all of the hurt it's inflicted, and economic and financial hurt, and no one obviously wants to see people lose their jobs or anything like that. But is this an example, do you think, of maybe the market kind of doing its job by the combination of investors and customers and public scrutiny doing its job and maybe actually making that case for tough regulation, government intervention in such an important business, maybe actually weakening that case? Well, first, let me just say how uh, proud I am of Silicon Valley's contribution to the United States and the world. I mean, my district's market cap, it used to be around $10 trillion. I'm sure it's still up there, Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo, Cisco. And people don't see, though, that the Valley is also contributing to fundamental transformation of technology. I mean, Livermore Labs, right near where we are, just discovered that you could have fusion with more energy out and less energy in. That is remarkable. Just today, I met with a company that's going to do hydrogen fuel and help have hydrogen fuel for our jets. They're doing things about battery technology. They're doing fundamental transformation in biotechnology, the fundamental transformations in how people get information. So it's an extraordinary innovative place. Now, yes, the stocks are down, partly because when you have high growth companies where you get future earnings five years, six years, 10 years out, and you have higher interest rates, then those future earnings are discounted under higher interest rates. And so that means that those prices are going to fall, but they're falling relative to extraordinary growth during a digital renaissance during the COVID years. All said, I am for thoughtful regulation to make sure that big companies aren't exploiting their platforms, but we should not be painting with a broad brush or using a sledgehammer to hurt companies that are also innovating. And I do think that the conversation needs to be balanced and uh, some of the correction that's taking place may help have that balanced conversation. Congressman Rokana, thanks very much for joining Free Expression. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for us this week. Thanks very much indeed for joining us on Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker, from the Wall Street Journal Opinion Pages. Please join us next week. In the meantime, have a very Merry Christmas and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for joining us and goodbye. Goodbye.